So, welcome everybody to another episode of the All Time High Podcast. I am your host, General Moore, and today I'm going to be talking to you guys about NFTs, what they are, how they work, why they're important, and everything in between. Um, and today's episode is called, What the Fuck is an NFT? And I'm going to explain that to you guys. But first, of course, talk about a little bit of news. A lot of cool things happened this past week, and I'm excited to tell you guys about it. So, uh, first thing is, I'm just kind of going to gloss over this. MicroStrategy bought more Bitcoin. Who's surprised? I think they bought like $10 million worth again. Um, they just came, they buy the dip. MicroStrategy buys the dip every time. So, um, it's pretty cool to see an institution like seriously invested in, um, not just the future of Bitcoin, but also creating the future of Bitcoin. So that's dope. Um, Mark Cuban said that they are exploring NFT ticket sales um, for the um, for his NBA team. So basically, I think they're already accepting cryptocurrency. They're going to be accepting more, but they're also starting to talk about issuing tickets as NFTs so that they're more verifiable and um, it's more transparent and kind of would eliminate a lot of that scalping and fraud. Um, so that's really exciting news, I think. Um, also, a massive Canadian wealth management company called CI Financial filed for a Ethereum ETF. Um, they currently manage about $230 billion in assets, so that's pretty pretty big news in my opinion. Um, an Ethereum ETF could bring a lot more institutional investment inside um, to the space, and that would be obviously really good for the price and just really good for everything. Um, additionally... Uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Ubisoft. They are a gaming giant. And um, they just partnered with a company called So Rare that has been minting um, basically NFT soccer cards for um, soccer teams. And they're planning to use uh, So Rare's digital cards to basically start making fantasy games using those cards, which I think is a really, really cool application. Um, additionally, PayPal announced that they're going to be opening up a cryptocurrency division. Um, so they're going to be exploring cryptocurrency really hard. And they're planning to let everybody um, basically accept crypto across their, like, I don't know, whatever, 29 million merchants, whatever it is. And lastly, and most excitedly, um, you guys have probably heard, heard me talk about the EIP-1559, the Ethereum Improvement Proposal. It is officially slated to come out in the... Uh, the London hard fork in July. So that's really exciting news because that's essentially going to make it, it changes the economics of Ethereum a little bit, which I think is really fascinating. It may inadvertently bring gas fees down a bit, but it's not really the core focus. Um, what it's really going to do is basically take a portion of that minor reward that used to go directly to miners and it's going to burn it off the network. Just that currency is just going to disappear. So we're, <clears throat> basically Ethereum is going to be being burned daily, which is in essence, you know, going to turn it in kind of kind of into a deflationary currency where this, you know, Ethereum is going to be more scarce. So a lot of people think it's going to drive the price up, but um, it's a good UX improvement. It should make gas uh, prices and everything a little bit more clear. Um, so I'm really excited for that. So that's really, really good news. But let's get into it. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about some NFTs. Yeah. So NFTs. NFT stands for non fungible token whoever just subscribed i love you i'm gonna go through any follows and subscriptions at the end of the episode uh just just to be clear with everybody so non-fungible token now what the hell does that mean what does fungible mean so fungibility is essentially a characteristic of currency and what it what it basically means is that if you have an asset let's say it's the us dollar that that asset is tradable, you know, on a one-to-one -one scale. 
I give you $1 and you give me $1, it's still a dollar. You know what I mean? So in essence, fungibility means that you have something that kind of has like not necessarily stable value, but equal exchange in value, um, if that makes sense. So um, you can basically replace a certain item with another identical item. That's what fungibility means. So, um, but NFTs are non-fungible. So that means that their, their value is not fixed. You know, that doesn't have an equal exchange. So there are a couple key components of what make an NFT. And I'm going to go through those real quick. Actually, first, uh, let me draw you guys a little diagram, give you an idea of what NFTs could be. So let's say you've got this NFT, you've got this token, right? This could literally be any, almost anything um, like a t-shirt. This could be digital in-game items. In-game. This could be art. This could be documents. It could be almost anything. Um, and basically what you're doing is you are attaching an, an NFT to any one of these items that is provable and verifiable. Um, so let's talk about the key components, right? What makes an NFT special? Now, I think there are basically six primary components. So stay with me. Six is a lot. First one being they're standardized. This basically means that there is now a universal standard to read and write data in a sense. Um, you kind of have this universal method for creating digital assets that is going to be readable by everything on Web 3.0. So instead of having images and data that isn't compatible with certain systems, you now have a universal standard that you can create items on so that it automatically works with everything, which I think is really fucking cool. Um, to go along with that concept, it is interoperable. And this essentially means that NFTs can move between ecosystems. They can go between platforms at will without having to create a new account, without having to recreate the data or copy the data. The data just automatically is portable kind of to everything. I was actually showing one of my viewers earlier. Um, I was moving between Rare and OpenSea and signing in with my wallet. And the NFTs that I had minted on Rare were already in OpenSea. I didn't have to do anything. It was pretty cool. So in addition to it being interoperable, they are immutable. And immutable data essentially means that it's data that cannot be changed, the data that cannot be copied, and data that cannot be deleted. So when you mint an NFT, it kind of exists in perpetuity. Unless you are the sole owner of that NFT, you can essentially burn it. But I don't know why you want to do that. Unless you're trying to clean something off the internet, I guess. But um, your NFT exists. It's real. And it's verifiable and it's true. It's kind of what immutability means. So the next, com ugh, the next component, scarcity. Um, this is a big problem in digital art. Uh, you know, you you have assets that you can't necessarily prove that they're scarce. You know, what if I, I, I made a print and I made five, but I only told you there was one and I sold it to you. You would, you would have more, you'd probably give it more value because there's only one of them. You know what I mean? Um, this is actually provable scarcity. You can you can say, you know, this is a, a singular piece and it might have a number attached to it. You know, it could be just one. And then, you know, it's just one of one. But you could also have one of 1,000. And that means that, you know, you can 
you can track and verify the scarcity, which is really cool. Um, also, tradeability. These assets are able to be traded completely open and um, on pretty much any open marketplace on Web 3.0. Like I mentioned to you, I minted something on Rarible, but I can go sell it on OpenSea if I want. Um, I can take these assets and take them somewhere else and sell them on a truly open market and potentially earn royalties on it in perpetuity for forever. Um, you know, if I mint a digital art piece and I sell it for one Ethereum, um, if somebody else sells that for two Ethereum, I get 15% on that transaction. So every time it exchanges hands, I'm getting a piece. It's pretty neat. Um, the next component, or the last one really, is programmability. And I think this is one of the things that is like, you know, completely unique to NFTs. Um, you can program NFTs to have particular characteristics or do certain things automatically. So for example, and I'm going to be talking a lot about uh, CryptoKitties in this in this presentation, but uh, CryptoKitties is a game and they essentially have a breeding mechanic. So CryptoKitties have these unique qualities and when you breed them, it uses basically RNG or random number generator to create a new crypto kitty. And that's fully programmed inside of the NFT. Um, that's not like something the platform is using the NFT to do. That's what the NFT is coded to do. It's pretty wild. So let's talk about how they work. Cause it's a lot of stuff and I'm going to come back to those things. Don't worry. I won't let you guys forget. So how do NFTs work? Uh, we talked about earlier about digital ownership, right? And NFTs are essentially a representation of your digital digital ownership, either over data or a particular item, something like that, right? But how are they created? And kind of, you know, what is the process behind all that? So, um, uh, sorry, NFTs are minted in a lot of different ways. Um, the most popular is to build them on Ethereum. Almost everything these days is just on Ethereum. <laughs> and... Um, you can do that via two different token standards. So if you guys may recall, uh, we've talked about um, the ERC-20 token standard in previous previous episodes, if you guys are familiar. Uh, that's basically could be, you know, it's a different type of asset. Um, but the NFT token standards, there's two of them. There is um, ERC-721 and there's ERC-1155. Uh, ERC-721 uh, is basically for singular, um, you know, NFT assets. So this could be a particular art piece, um, something along those lines. And uh, 1155 is actually more about, like, uh, asset classes. So um, if you have, let's say you're playing a game and you have these in-game NFTs that are swords. And there might be 1,000 swords. It could be a part of a collection, right? There's 1,000 of them. Um, so you've kind of created this new class of swords. And instead of having your ownership as like, I own this singular um, entity, you own, you know, maybe it's 003 of, of this uh, asset class. So those are two of the most popular ways. Um, there are other blockchains that are doing this. Um, the most popular one that is actually doing anything is called Flow. And Flow actually... Um, came out of uh, CryptoKitties. And I'll talk a little bit about that later, but uh, basically they built Flow because at the time Ethereum was too slow. Ethereum is still kind of too slow in a lot of ways uh, for some of this stuff, uh, but it will get better. Um, 
and they have been responsible for some hugely successful projects like NBA Top Shots, CryptoKitties, um, some other stuff. So I'll talk about more of those later. But um, point being, you know, Flow is really the only one that I think has has made a dent in um, you know the NFT space. But there are other projects out there trying to do their own kind of wrappable tokens or NFT uh, style stuff. But uh, right now, Ethereum is the clear front runner. So um, to get back to kind of how NFTs work. Uh, you know, this is a really hard concept to to grasp. It took me a while. Um, you know, how are digital assets stored? You know, how how is the information stored? How does that work? Because we're talking about decentralization, right? So we're talking about assets that we're hopefully not storing on a centralized server. Although in some of these cases, they are. Um, so first, let's talk about metadata. So you might be familiar with the term metadata. Um, it's usually just a, a set of descriptors for a particular you know website or art piece or image uh, that kind of describes what the image is right so you have you have um this descriptive data that basically gets baked in to the smart contract so when you code when you knit when you mint an nft you're basically also including all of this descriptive data its title um, it's description. If you're doing something a little bit more complex, like CryptoKitties, uh, you might have uh, certain traits for that kitty. Um, all kinds of different things, right? So you, you're basically baking in this descriptive data into the NFT, right? And other applications can read that meta metadata and kind of see what's in there. Um, but that doesn't really explain like where the actual image is stored. So if we're using an image as an example, there's a couple different ways that the image can be stored. Um, so that it can be read by other platforms. Um, the first one, and probably the least likely, likely right now, is on-chain storage. Now, on-chain storage basically means that you are actively storing that data. So if you have a five megabyte image, you are actually putting that data into the actual blockchain. So here's our blockchain. And all these are, are transaction data. And you're, you're trying to squeeze your image into it right um this is super inefficient uh you know especially because gas fees are high and can cause a lot of congestion um so this isn't really happening a lot right now but there are a lot of benefits uh the benefits to on-stage storage on-chain storage are you have permanent data residence so like i said this data is going to live here literally forever uh which i think is pretty neat um and it also allows for persistence beyond the initial use. Um, so if you are maybe minting an NFT on a certain platform um, and you that platform shuts down or you don't want to use it anymore, you can go and do it, you know, use it on a different application, which I think is really fun. Um, the next method is off-chain storage. Now, a lot of NFT projects right now are have to do on-chain storage because, uh, like I said, you, you know, it's just it's inefficient and expensive to do it on the Ethereum blockchain. And basically, the way that this works is, you know, there's a couple different ways, but you might build a side chain that runs in parallel with Ethereum, and you'll store all that data on there, and then maybe submit proofs to the main chain to to basically verify it. Um, but most currently are doing this again because of storage limits. And the part of the way that this works is uh, a part of that metadata that you include is something called the token URI. And this is essentially like a, a characteristic that tells the application where the data lives. 
So it's like a URL. You're basically saying, all right, here's the name, here's the description, here's where you can find the actual piece of data, the actual image itself. So you're basically telling the, the smart contract, this is where it lives, right? So you've got on-chain storage, off-chain storage, uh, which basically requires either a side chain or an, you know some other off-chain implementation, and you use the token URI to call back to it, right? To find the to find the data. The next one you have is centralized servers, and this is the one we hate. So right now, pretty much everything we do on the internet is centralized. So you've got you know a, a big server or a group of servers that are hosted somewhere, and you've got you know people that connect to those servers, right? So, you know, servers like for Facebook and Google, they store all our data inside the server. So it would basically be that same concept, uh, but there's a lot of risk in, in centralized storage. Um, they can delete your data or change it if they want. Um, if, that pro if that platform goes offline, poof, there goes all your data, all your NFTs. And, um, you know, like I said, the, jet, the devs can change it at will. So th there's a large danger in centralized servers, but um, some people kind of see it as unavoidable right now because of the limitations of what blockchain can do uh, in its current state. The last one, I find this so fucking cool. It's called the interplanetary file system. And this is a new type of peer-to-peer -peer protocol that allows for file storage and I think web hosting as well in an entirely distributed decentralized decentralized way. So this is an open peer-to-peer file system. So much like our um, blockchains, basically when you store something on, uh, on the IPFS protocol, it's distributed. It's kind of stored in a bunch of different places. So so long as there's a single node in existence, your data will persist. Right. And projects like Filecoin are trying to use IPFS to incentivize the storage of data. So in other words, I could run an, I could run a Filecoin node and basically contribute to this just massive cloud storage network and I'll get paid for it because I'm helping contribute to, um, you know, the network success overall. Right. So this is basically how the four different ways that things are stored right now. Um, this concept took me a hard time to grasp, but um, the essential concept is, you know, you have these, you have these NFTs. They have metadata that are descriptive, and they also have data that tell, tells the the contract where the data lives. Right. Feel free to stop me if you guys have any questions. By the way. So. Now that we kind of have a pretty good understanding of what an NFT is, where it lives, let's give you guys some examples. Um, get you to kind of grasp this concept, grasp this concept a little bit more tightly. So. <clears throat> Next, I want to talk about the digitization, it's a hard word to say, of physical assets. Now, that sound, might sound like gibberish, but I promise you it will make sense. So, <clears throat> physical assets, meaning real-world goods, right? Things that, that are tangible, you can see, you can touch, you can feel, you can give to other people, you can taste. Um, and there are a lot of limitations with what you can do with real world, real world. Oh my God. Real world goods. Um, they're not, you know, if you want to trade it to somebody, there's, uh, 
you have to find a buyer, you have to go on the open marketplace, you have to meet physically, you know, there's a lot of different things. And um, this could be anything from physical art, collectibles, uh, sports memorabilia, which I think is going to have an absolute ball with M NFTs. And um, you can digitize all these assets for the purposes of true ownership and authenticity. So, you know, I think one problem, like especially in sports memorabilia space is, you know, you might purchase a rare signed football or, or something like that. And, you you know, it's, it can be really hard to tell whether it's real or not. So if you had an NFT that was minted to basically be tied to that specific piece of memorabilia, it would be fully authentic and verifiable and whoever held that nft would be regarded as the true owner so this does wonders for um how you know for fraud um there are a lot of fraudulent activities out there that you know people make millions and billions if not trillions of dollars um basically in fraudulent activity and this would be basically provable ownership of physical items um, and that might come in the form of a different things. It could be like a QR code that's, you know, lasered in or etched on that particular item. And if you scan that QR code, you can see who the owner is. If the owner isn't you, then that's a problem. Or if the owner isn't uh, who they say they are, it's a problem. You see what I mean? So you could very easily tell if something was stolen or, um, you know, fraudulently created or something of the sort. So this extends to other areas too. Um, and these things I think are, are, are even a little bit more obvious. Uh, things like, uh, let's see, like land titles or deeds. Um, medical records. Tax forms. All these records that are incredibly important kind of in our society that are not really all that safe um they're stored in centralized servers uh they're owned and operated by people that aren't you um this would be a way for you to completely own these documents also be able to transfer them and send them and move them incredibly quickly and actually verify their authenticity um you know there's even a theoretical world where you might like sell your house and you literally code a smart contract to have like certain parameters on you know what you want the down payment to be uh, what you want the terms to be, and literally entirely code and automate that process and have it only execute once certain conditions are met. So I think a lot of this stuff is really cool. So basically all of these records can be digitized, but even more importantly, they will be unique. They will be unreplicatable, which is really, really valuable. So another great example for this, um, we talked about it earlier, uh, like what Mark Cuban's doing, is event ticketing. Uh, we all hate scalpers and uh, we all hate, you know, buying tickets that don't exist. Uh, you know, people sometimes create fraudulent tickets. Um, this happened a lot. Uh, we went to, I've been to a lot of Coachella's and I, I definitely remember that there were people who were trying to get in with fake tickets. And um, this is an industry that deals with a ton of fraud and scalping. So imagine instead you have every single ticket when you make a purchase, maybe it mints an NFT and that NFT belongs to you. And 
you can kind of do what you want with it. It's fully tradable. So you can go and sell it somewhere else. But the point is you can prove the authenticity and it's all fully transparent too. They can see where those tickets are moving, what addresses they're going to. And it creates a much more transparent ecosystem for, for ticketing, which I think is going to be really valuable, which makes sense why Mark Cuban is exploring it. So all in all, uh, NFTs and blockchain are really a solution for a wide variety of fraudulent activity. I mean, they could save huge sums of money in the future. And, you know, the digitization makes all of this far more efficient. It's easier to sell. It's easier to track. The accounting is basically built in. You can see exactly where things are going and how much they're selling for. It's pretty wild. So <clears throat> now that we've talked about some physical stuff, um, let's get into the digital art, because I think this is where everybody's like, huh? And trust me, I had a really hard time with the psychology of digital art. So this is obviously uh, just the buying and selling of digital image. Buying, selling, just say images, right? And this could be anything from GIFs, memes. Oh my God. Um, you know, videos, whatever, right? So any kind of digital art form. Now, everybody's basically said or, or asked themselves, can't you just copy it? Like, what what is the value if I see a video, I can just watch it on YouTube. Or I see a picture that somebody bought, I can just take a screenshot and now I have it too, right? Um, yes and no. Now, remember we talked about that these these items are, are fully transparent or fully immutable and they're scarce and all that good stuff. But this is really hard to to kind of wrap your head around. So there, there are two parts of this. Um, and basically, this is the big difference. So you, in your NFT, you cannot copy this. So the actual NFT itself, which proves ownership, can't change it, can't copy it, can't do anything. The actual data, you can copy. So you kind of kind of ask yourself, what are you actually copying though? You're just copying the, the surface level data of what it is. You aren't copying the ownership, which is really what's valuable. Um, you know, there is a lot of, you know, there's a big psychological aspect to this, but you have to think about ownership um, and, and kind of, what it means to value ownership and what creates value for items for yourself, right? We all own tons of unique objects, right? But what, what is the value we really get from the experience of owning those objects? Um, they could be sentimental. They could be um, something really expensive and maybe you just value it because it was expensive. Um, you know, I have like, I, there are many saxophones like my saxophone. There's tons of them. I only want mine because it's mine. It means something to me. And I give it value because, you know, because it's important to me, right? Um, we have tons of items that we don't even put on display that have value to us. So you really have to kind of, kind of do some soul searching and think about what is it about certain items that I give value to it? Is it just the price tag? Sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes people buy high-end shit just because it's expensive, right? So... When you talk about digital data ownership, there isn't really a big difference there. There's nothing inherently that gives any of that value. Um, it's only valuable because other people are willing to purchase it. So all of these art sales, everything that's going on in the NFT space right now 
is because people value this stuff. They think it's cool. They think it's exciting. And they and they kind of see it as an opportunity to get a momentum of like the alpha version, right? Um, to get a memento of, of, of what they can remember from this time, right? Um, so, you know, our relationships with items are what really give it value and um, how we perceive values, obviously different from person to person, but uh, we can't, we can't make rules around that really. You know what I mean? Um, people are going to find things valuable that they find valuable. That's, that's kind of the end of it. Right. So digital art right now is, is blowing up. Um, artists are making just absolutely stupid amounts of money. Uh, and, and they want that relic of the early days, right? Um, on February, uh, late February, an artist, uh, by the name of people, he sold a gif on, I think it was on OpenSea for $6.6 .6 million. A gif. For six point six million dollars, I mean, it's absolutely wild to me. But there's definitely some some strong psychological um, component to that, to, to owning that particular data. It's different. It's unique. It's not really something we're used to, which is why I think everybody's having a hard time understanding it. Um, but that's okay. I think. I think a lot of this stuff is meant to change. And um, you know, once there's more opportunity to show off the stuff that you own, I think it'll start to be a lot more valuable. Like imagine having a digital picture frame and you own like a uh, a specific moment in history or like from a from a game or something like that. What was the gif of? Is it people crap? I don't know if it's people crap. I just know people. But um, the gif, it's like a it's a political statement. It's like a uh, animation and it's like a fallen Trump. Naked fallen Trump with like a bunch of shit written all over it and people walking by <laughs> it's kind of wild um you know if you just google people i'm sure you'll find it but uh it's pretty interesting to, to see how this stuff is evolving so i think um one of the really cool projects that has come out that has been absolutely blowing up and kind of driving the space called crypto punks yeah crypto punks and these are randomly generated Um, 8-bit, like, avatars. And these, they have all different kinds of uh, styles of characters. There are aliens, there are monsters. And they basically minted 10,000 of these. And when they minted those 10,000, they sent them, or anybody could claim one at the time, right? There were basically 10,000 for anybody to claim. And after those 10,000s were were claimed the only way to get one now is to buy one on the open market so people basically claimed them all and have been selling them for some of them for hundreds of thousands of dollars um i don't really know why but people people like it people think it's really cool um and it's kind of interesting to think about that you know this was a not like a an artist or a company that wanted to make a profit they just they just minted these things and kind of sent them out and let people get them and now they're valuable it's it's a strange deviation from what we're used to you know it's something completely unique that i don't think any of us would have ever even thought to be a thing right um so let's talk about some nft platforms so you guys can go explore and lose money by yourself um we can we can do an nft thing on stream later uh once i'm done with the show if that's cool um so first let's talk about rarible which i mentioned earlier and Rarible is a pretty unique platform. Um, this is a digital marketplace for selling digital goods. 
and you can sell all kinds of stuff on here art memes digital collectibles music um in-game items parcels of land in games um and they have introduced something called marketplace liquidity mining it sounds really complicated but it's not that crazy um and basically what marketplace liquidity mining is is it's a function of their site that essentially allows you to earn the rare the rareable token i think it's called the rari token and just by participating on the marketplace so if you buy stuff if you sell stuff um your activity basically entitles you to a percentage of their weekly sales so rewards are distributed basically on a weekly basis based on weekly sales volume So in other words, the more you participate, the more money you make, right? So if you're buying and selling a lot of stuff, you're going to constantly get rewarded in that rare token, that rare, the Rari token, right? And you can go and you can sell that for profit. So it's literally just a whole new way to earn money, um, just buying and selling digital goods. Pretty fascinating, right? Uh, another project called OpenSea um, is really popular. Uh, you can Same kind of thing. It's another digital marketplace, um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer open digital marketplace. And it's very similar to Rarible. Um, the difference is basically they have a, a different set of integrations and um, they don't have that that governance and reward uh, system like, like Rarible does. Um, but it's an open Web 3.0 marketplace and uh, you can access it via your wallet, just like I did Rarible. So I talked about this earlier. You know, I, I minted my, my NFT on Rarible, but I can go sell it on, on OpenSea if I want. I just got to log in with my wallet. My NFT was already there. It already had its own page. You know, that's, that's fundamentally this concept that I was talking about, interoperability. I can take something out of something and go use it somewhere else. That doesn't exist right now. Your Facebook data stays on Facebook. You can't take it and go, you know, play with it somewhere else. Imagine if you had a single, like, personal social media profile that allowed you to interact with every single social network. I think that would change everything, right? Uh, other platforms, I mentioned it earlier, uh, the ENS, the Ethereum name service. And what the ENS lets you do is you can basically make, it's like domain names. Um, I can basically create an Ethereum name server uh, for my particular address. So when I purchase an ENS, so I actually did this uh, this week, I purchased General Mort.eth. And what I did was I took General Mort.eth and I basically replaced my wallet's address with it. So now I have a verifiable, unique username, essentially, that I can send to anybody to send me, you know, if they want to pay me um, or something like that. I think eventually be able to host actual uh, websites on these domains. Um, but this is like this is like my identity now, um, you know, instead of my wallet, which is normally like, you know, 0x05ab, you know, whatever it is. Now I have generalmort.eth. Uh, I've basically kind of wrapped my address in something that is translatable and understandable, right? Um, and this is tradable as an NFT. So when I log into Rarible and OpenSea, my domain name is there. My ENS is there, and I can sell it. I can sell it on Rarible and OpenSea if I wanted to. So you could go buy i mean probably not because i'm sure people already have it but if you bought google.eth or something you can go and sell that um it's pretty interesting 
so you kind of have a unified marketplace where you can you can distribute and sell domain names. Um, the last platform I want to talk about, it's not really a platform, it's more like a, I guess it is. I mentioned it earlier, NBA Top Shots. Oh, I gotta move that. So NBA Top Shots uh, is actually one of the big players in the scene right now. And they are doing millions of dollars in sales. And basically what they're letting you do is you can purchase a moment in NBA history. So if there was a really cool play that happened, you can physically purchase that play. You can, you can purchase that video and basically have the rights to that video, to that NFT. And right now there isn't, you know, a great way to display it, but imagine in the future, like I mentioned, you've got a digital frame on your wall. Somebody walks in your house and you've got a video of LeBron James dunking over somebody's head. And it, I don't know, maybe it won them a big game and people walk in and they know that you own that moment. You, you bought that actual moment in history, which is pretty, pretty wild. And obviously, you know, the argument to that, can't I just go watch it on YouTube? Of course you can. But you, but you can go watch it on YouTube, but you won't be able to say that you own that. There's a difference. As we come back to that like psychological, you know, the psychology of ownership again. You might want to buy that moment because it meant something to you. Maybe, maybe it was a big game. You know, if I like, if I could buy the helmet catch from Super Bowl Forty Two of T David Tyree catching it from Eli Manning on his head, like that would mean a lot to me. Um, because I mean, obviously, because I'm a Giants fan, but. The point is, like, there is value in that. There, there is. It may be hard to understand, but there absolutely is value in that. In that, that kind of ownership and saying that, like, I, I own this data. I own this moment. It's very, it's very cool, actually. I, I think so. Uh, let's talk about some games, because NFTs and video games, um, I think is going to be absolutely huge. I really hate that that keeps doing that. And I think this is just where games are headed inevitably. So I mentioned it 1 million times. So let's talk about CryptoKitties. So CryptoKitties initially, uh, they were actually basically the founding father of the ERC-721 standard. Um, they were the first, one of the first NFT platforms around and um, they were the source of serious congestion back when it launched. Uh, gas fees went absolutely bonkers after CryptoKitties came out because everybody was trying to buy them and sell them and get in early. And because of all those issues, they eventually left Ethereum and they built their own blockchain flow, which is also what NBA Top Shots is built on. But now you have the, the, the CryptoKittyverse. And basically people have made games that allow you to port your kitties in and play them. There's like a Hearthstone clone out there. There's a trading card game. Um, there's other like, you know, mini, they're kind of like flash games right now, but you can take your kitties and you can actually go use them to do things. You can use them in games. And it's not like it's necessarily even crypto kitties that's making the game. Other people taking that asset and making a game around it. It's completely fucking backwards from what we're used to. It's totally crazy to me. And I think it's so, so cool because like, for me, as a big gamer, a lot of my favorite games that I've played have all come with like really heavy modding communities or, or the developers give, um, you know, certain tools out for people to build new things on top of it, like like Warcraft 3. I mean, we have a we basically got a whole genre of games and MOBAs out of Warcraft 3 because somebody made Dota. 
The same thing is happening here, but an even more open and distributed and democratized way. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. So uh, another example is Gods Unchained. And these guys are doing some really cool stuff as well. Um, Gods Unchained, simply put, Hearthstone clone. Um, but there are some really big differences. Uh, so it's, it's a trading card game. Uh, you battle with your cards, right? But the big difference is these cards are fully unique and tradable. So you can't trade your Hearthstone cards that you buy from Blizzard because they don't want you to. Um, but all the cards on Gods Unchained, they're all NFTs, and they all are fully tradable among players. Kind of like real-life Pokemon cards or Yu-Gi-Oh cards, right? Where I can actively sell that item to you, and you can use it to in your game. You can use it to play, make you stronger, right? Um, one of the coolest things that Gods Unchained has done is they just... I don't know if they just launched it, but they are basically producing their own uh, Layer 2 scaling solution called Immutable X. Um, this is a, a scaling solution using something called ZK Rollups. And without explaining what ZK Rollups are, I know all you really need to know is that this is going to scale up this whole thing and make it way faster, way more efficient, and way cheaper. Um, so this is going to enable a lot more people to start building games on top of Ethereum because... Previously, like I mentioned, you know, there are those storage concerns, those, you know, a lot of different things that are making it difficult, the network congestion and the gas fees. And Immutable X is basically providing a, a, a universal solution to game developers to basically get involved and build games on Ethereum, which I think is just absolutely awesome. So next project I'll talk about, it's called Axie Infinity. And this, the best comparison is Neopets. If you guys are old enough, you remember Neopets. I fucking love Neopets when I was a kid. And it's a digital pet universe where you can play different games with your pets. Uh, and people are, are basically going to build new games where you can use your axes and you can follow. they can follow you into those games. Uh, currently, they're selling like parcels of land uh, inside of Axie Infinity for people to purchase. And some of them are going for like millions of dollars. I don't really get that, but it's happening and it's pretty cool and it's crazy. So, you know, where does this all kind of lead long term? Uh, like I said, I think NFTs and video games is going to be absolutely massive, and I think that for a lot of reasons. Um, if you guys have ever played any MMOs or um, games with skins or items, you might have a whole kind of new type of economy um, where you are, you know, it might be it might be a player crafted driven economy where players are creating items and selling them on the open marketplace. And you might be a recognizable artist and you might make a lot more money because people like your work. This is an entirely new type of economy, like I mentioned. And one where you can essentially play to earn. Imagine that. We've now gotten to a point where you can be an esport athlete and earn money, earn a wage. But imagine being able to just make money by playing the game. That is totally going to be possible and is absolutely going to happen in the future. And I think that's so incredibly fascinating to me. Um, right now, we just we have the relationships we have with different games and platforms and ecosystem. It's just from us to them. We don't get anything back these days um, because they don't have to. They own everything. Why would they give us anything back? We're paying to use their service. But we can create 
an actual kind of like self-fulfilling economy where, yeah, I, I'm paying for a service or paying for, to you know, to play the game, but I might also get something out of that. I might earn something out of that. It's an entirely different, um, you know, type of interaction with, with a different platform or a game, right? So with that in mind, you know, we talk about interoperability <clears throat> again and the metaverse. Now, metaverse is essentially a concept that allows assets or things to move in between each other like the like the marvel metaverse basically you've got marvel characters coming from different universes and coming into their characters right or into their universes um so this is basically possible because blockchain will be the new coordination layer for digital assets It presents a kind of a new standard, a new way to build data and items and things that that will be instantly transportable to other areas. So, like I said, these these assets are interoperable; um, they can go in and out of different ecosystems. This is now a this this could be a universal method for reading and writing data. So, NFTs are going to be the building blocks uh, for Web 3.0, much like how JPEG and PNG and HTML and CSS, how all these things were critical to Web 2.0 in, in building and displaying images and creating platforms on Web 2.0. NFTs are kind of that first foundational building block. Um, it's kind of where we're headed, right? So. Like I said, you know, the metaverse is moving items between ecosystems. So you might have, let's say it's a digital sword, right? And you're playing a game and this is, you know, this is an NFT or maybe you minted the NFT, right? You can take this to, maybe it's a social network. It's a game. Or maybe you just go and sell it on a marketplace. All without basically like without having to do anything extra other than log in it's so wild to me you know i'm not i'm not like creating a new representation of an item in another game no that item is literally going to the other game because i'm logging in and it's in my wallet so you will have within these ecosystems just brand new economies new ways to make money and exchange value which i think is so fascinating there will be markets for assets that like we can't even think of yet because they don't exist that's super exciting to me um and users are going to be able to monetize the process that's even more exciting to me um you know we're, we're basically looking at a new way of interacting with platforms and ecosystems that is going to allow us to actually get something back for once which i think is fucking great and very needed so quickly just to sum up I want you guys to kind of remember these these core components. So core components of NFTs to reiterate. It is standardized. So basically a universal standard for for things that can be <clears throat> created, different digital assets. It's immutable. Data cannot be changed or replaced or deleted. 
it is <clears throat> scarce. So you can create assets with a limited supply um, or fixed supply or an increasing supply, or maybe it's just one singular unique asset and you can actually prove that it's scarce. They're interoperable. I feel like I've said that word 5 million times today. They're tradable. And lastly, they are programmable. Meaning that you can actually code your NFT to do specific functions based on certain conditions. So these are the core concepts. They're standardized, it's immutable, scarce, interoperable, tradable, and programmable. So what is the outlook for NFTs? Uh, I think you guys, it's pretty obvious that I'm, I'm very bullish on NFTs, but I think the future is really bright. I think even if it's not digital art, there are just tons and tons and tons of applications for these things. And all in a universal standard method that can be read by all different kinds of ecosystems and platforms. Like, that's so insane. It's so crazy. It's just absolutely completely different than anything we know. And I think that's really, really exciting. And I, I can't, I honestly just can't wait to see um, how they're being implemented in the future. So um, that is pretty much all I got for you guys on NFTs specifically. Thank you guys all for joining me again uh, today. I had a really good time doing this presentation. This is actually one of my favorite episodes so far. Um, please like, subscribe, follow, and all of that stuff. Um, if you think your friends might enjoy it, tell them about it because I would love to tell more people about this exciting technology and be sure to check the info panel down below. You guys can follow me on Twitter, um, which is where I kind of spit all my bullshit. Um, and as always, I'll be sticking around a little bit to hang out, uh, talk about some things. If you guys have any questions, feel free to ask me. And that is pretty much it. Thank you all so much. I will see you all next time. Thank you. Loved it. Thank you so